Hello? 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 Rethink. Rethink. Reimagine. Reimagine. Okay. Okay, America. Okay, America, it's time to rethink and reimagine. I'm Dr. Phil Dembo, your host, and I'm going solo today. I want to thank Juliet Lamar and Dr. B. Thomas for supporting me on this special presentation of OK America. And I want to thank Sam Ashkenazi and Studio Sam for their assistance in putting all of this together. Since the beginning of OK America and for the last 40 years of my career, it's been, it's been difficult for me. It's just not enough for us to speak about the topics of the day or the perspectives people have. I think we're spending so much time telling our story that we don't even know what we mean. Don't get me wrong, it's critical that we have dialogue and that the topics of what we are experiencing and brought forward and we listen to one another and we voice and share our perspective. But as a society, everyone, as a people, it's my opinion that we go uninformed about perhaps the deeper intention of why we think the way we think in the first place. Over the last nine episodes, we have shared with you some amazing guests and scratched the surface of issues and experiences that resonate with people today, all in an attempt to challenge each of us to find clarity and explore a different way. But I often walk away feeling that we come up short. And time and time again, I start where I left off. It's just not enough to share our stories. It's time for us to explain why we got to where we got to. We must understand the intention because the meaning of all experience begins in the feelings of our intention. Racism, prejudice, exploitation, dehumanization, all of that starts with the beginning of preference and experience. When a baby's born, for example, they are what we call universal psychologically, which means that their, their experience and their thoughts are the same. They don't have the cognition to interpret that if they're hungry, there's a connection to my mother doesn't love me because I'm hungry or I wish I had a corned beef sandwich over a bagel or pizza, right? They're hungry, they cry. They're tired, they cry. We are dirty and soiled, we cry. Someone attends to us and we coo. The connection between our experience is not pejorative. It doesn't turn into a judgment. It is just a universal experience. And then, and then we teach each other. And then by the time I'm six months old, if I'm not walking or crawling and somebody else is walking and crawling, my parents are very concerned and they're very upset. And all of a sudden, my comparative development is being compared to the development of my brother, my cousin, somebody else around me. We are talking about benign bias, right? Attributional bias. This is the point at which in psychology, what we believe and what we feel often get mixed up and confused. Religion, comedy, 
stereotypes, philosophy. I can go on and on and on. And I'm going to, but I need some help. I need my guests to join me. So here was what I was thinking. I was I was sitting listening to all our episodes, and, and these three guests that I am so grateful for joining me today, um, you have to, and, and you'll know who they are when you when you hear who they are. And and I encourage you to go back and listen to their own individual episodes that they did with OK America. But today they're coming on as a group, and these are some of the greatest thinkers in America today. These are some people who get it and understand it, and they're going to help me sift through it. So my first guest. So, so before I go to the guest, I, I just have to say to you, this is what I was actually literally thinking. So I came up with this joke. A stripper, a felon, and a black man walk into a podcast, and what do they find? A gray-haired Jewish guy trying to figure out how to be Buddhist. It's not quite a joke, but it's actually kind of true, because on the show we have Elle Stanger. She's an author, a writer, a podcast host. You remember her from coming on to our show. We have Jennifer Myers, an author, a speaker, and an advocate. And we have Rocky Tyrate, who's a rapper, recording artist, and an activist. And welcome to OK America. And thank you for this special edition where we are talking about benign bias. Hello, everybody. Hey, how's it going? Hi. Thank you for having us. Yes. yes. Thanks, thanks for being a part of it. I mean, you all come from different walks of life. You have different journeys. But there's something that resonated with each one of you for me about this topic. When Rocky and I were finished with, with our show with Juliet and Dr. B, I, I just thought this issue of the bias before the prejudice. And when, when Al Stanger sort of schooled me about um, the use of the language that I was using, which was really, really important to me because I have spent a career dealing in language. It really spoke to me about my own biases. And when you see Jennifer Myers, and you see her right now on the screen, if you guys go to YouTube and you'll pick up our video of this or some of, our, um, some of the uh, videos we're going to send out on Instagram, right? There is a disconnect between her story and the the um, uh, sort of the the look of Jennifer Myers, and so what what I'm going to ask each of you to share with me is not in your roles, not in your life's work, but as human beings, right? What is your own benign bias? Um, that men are trying to hurt me when maybe they're not. Is that a fair example? Yeah, that's a great example. I mean, people say, right, feminists, um, all feminists, there's a saying that all feminists are men-haters, right? And so one might say you're a feminist. Yeah, I'm sorry. Right? Yeah. I mean, I could go off for a half a minute about this if you'd like some framing. Uh, yeah, sure. It'd be great. Yeah. So when I was a little kid, I went by a boy's name. I was referred to as a tomboy. I liked men, you know, prescribed activities. Um, and so there's no, like, I don't have a root hatred of men, but the first time I was sexually harassed, I was 12 years old, walking with my nine-year-old sister, walking the dog in my neighborhood. And it was a car full of grown men who pulled over to try to talk to us. So I've had 
a couple hundred experiences in my life where someone was flirting with me in their eyes, but I'm scared because I know that if I react in a way that they find unpleasant, I might be targeted, um, you know, due to their own entitlement issues with women or feminine people. And I have so many great man partners and I'm very in touch still with my masculine sides. Um, and there are some women who are very, um, I would say, I don't know if antithetical is the right word, but they're not helping the cause of feminism when they behave as misandrous, when they, when they hate all men indiscriminately, because no, we have to look at people's behavior and their actions and their intent and not just their gender. There's a problem with labeling men as inherently predatory when they seek pleasure or touch or dating or sex or love or romance or anything. And that's unfair. So as a feminist, I do have a bias. I do get scared when I see a group of even teenage boys walking towards me across the street, but that is based on some experience. So I like what you said about uh, earlier. You said a lot of things earlier. But. <laughs> well, I think that's a great frame because people are shaking their heads and, and, and let's add to those experiences because that is a personal experience. But when, when you use the language you just used, and we'll come back to it, right? We we make sense of it by putting ourselves in categories, right? So I am a feminist. Well, I I would say to you that there, you know, it, and it probably will will upset some people, but I often find myself as a feminist. But but some some of that actually means that I'm actually prejudicial against men, right? It's embarrassing to be a man in today's world. Right. And uh, for the very things you just said. Right. I, I get applauded for not following a pretty woman with my eyes when I'm with my wife like that is supposed that is somehow like some some. Badge, odd right. Or unique right. Experience, right. 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 Oh, yeah. I mean, I guess since we're speaking on benign and unchecked prejudices, I mean, you said it right there, just growing up in a patriarchal society. Um, sometimes it's it's um, difficult to realize uh, specific outlooks and perspectives until you're confronted with it. Um, so, I mean, e even just the most minute or, you know, like we said, the most benign. Um, down to, say, mansplaining or, you know, feeling that a woman or, or someone needs protection and certainly just things, things of that nature. So, well, right, right. You know, I, I use this example a lot and, and it offends some people, but I'm going to put it out there is, is, is that when you're a, when you grow up where I grew up and you go walk to a, the corner to cross the street and Rocky tirade walks up and stands next to me, I am aware of Rocky being a black man. And right. that, just that, not a man, not a person, but a black man, right? That I am taught to be aware that you're black. You and I had this conversation on our show right. Right. before. And, and so that benign bias. So as a black man, as a man, what's, what, what is your bias on that? Do you feel that when you walk up next to white people? Um, more or less from a, a reactive standpoint, because, you know, how society demonizes an entire race, um, specifically black men, um, we're vilified, we're considered to be, 
miscreants and things of that nature. So you know how a specific agenda could be turned against you. Right. Um, so you more or less keep your head on the swivel. Um, so I would say it's not necessarily a bias, but just a level of awareness and caution because of how society paints you, you know, preemptively. So can I comment before I really want to hear Jennifer speak and I'm not going to take up more time than I'm due, but yeah, I want yeah. let's, let's have a conversation here Yeah, about Rocky, what you just said. So I just started reading ain't I a woman by bell hooks. who is a black feminist author, intersectional feminist, and she details very well historically how America has been taught to hate black men and view them as predatory and then to also simultaneously shame black men for not being able to protect the black women who were also being oppressed under the white patriarchal capitalist society. Absolutely. So it's caused right. And then also it has been pointed out how specifically black women were excluded from black rights movements that were male led for a long time and feminist movements that were white women led for a long time. So it's like the the levels of expectation and bias. It is based on history and culture. And yes, you're right. People have been raised to feel these ways. Yeah, right. absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So Jennifer, you have a unique experience around this, right? You're a white woman. You've um, been to prison. You've, you, you advocate for prison rights. You see it beyond the color and you see it from the experience, both in, in what it feels like to be oppressed and, and to be um, um, categorized in a category beyond who you are. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to sort of start for a minute from where we started with Al in the beginning, um, because I grew up in a very white community um, on a farm, middle class, and for me, I didn't think much about race. Um, there were hardly no black men or women around me, a few in our high school. Um, but but what, I, what I was born into was this idea around if you're not educated, you're less than. Or mm. you know, if you're not um, successful, education leads to success, and that's what you need to strive for because, you know, there was a lot of poverty around me and a lot of um, Caucasians and white people who were poor, and and I, I had my prejudices. I mean, I definitely grew up that way, and it was very interesting when I ended up getting arrested by the government, and I began to feel um, a sense of, of feeling less than because I was now criminal. Um, and, and I think What's interesting, like you said, is that I ended up going into prison where I suddenly was a minority. And and I, I have to admit at that point, um, my development and my judgments around um, the difference between, let's say, a white being a white woman or a black woman um, started to I started to build some judgments up. Um, the, the black women didn't like the white women. You know, I, I was less than white women were dirty. Like all of these things I didn't realize were going on, um, were placed on me and, and even being educated was now, you know, something that I was now less than because I was educated in a white woman. And, um, I felt a lot of, um, comparison. Um, it, it didn't feel good. It felt completely repressed. And, and it, it changed my opinion when I got out of prison. And, and now I do work around um, white, uh, black women, black men in, in, in prison, you know, when you're a felon and you're black, 
um, you know, it's it suddenly heightens and you've got two isms on top of you, let alone not educated. And for some reason now, I, I don't, I, it's hard for me to even tolerate um, the differences because we are, we are all the same. But at the same time, I have to say, just because I was in prison and had that taste or because I got out of prison and I was profiled by the police once and really felt what it was like for, a, for an hour to be profiled, which was horrible. I am still a white woman. And, mm-hmm. and I believe that it runs so deep, you know, with, with, with the different races and to be a black man or a black woman is it's in the ancestry and it's in the blood and it's in our stories from the past. I mean, it is such a long history. Um, I mean, for me to say that I understand what anybody's going through or how to change that, I, I, I just can't. Right. Yeah. That's the value of recognizing our own limitations in our own experiences. But one has to understand the intention of what we're talking about. And this is what I mean by that, right? Mm-hmm. There is a need to feel clarity and safety and order because our feelings under siege cannot be vulnerable. They need protection. Mm-hmm. And society has created a construct by which we compare to understand. Black versus white, female versus male, felon versus non-felon. I'm not sure what the opposite of felon would be, but the non-felon, you know. But so so let, let's break that down. If we just look, if, if everybody listening looks at a capture of our Zoom screen and we talk about visual bias, you don't know any of us, right? And now you capture this and you have this, white woman with this nice scene behind her who looks like she is in a uh, suburban household. You have a woman who is tattooed up and down and doing interesting things with her fingers. And then we have a black man with a baseball cap with a uh, the background, I'm not sure what the background is. That is Coronado Bridge. I really miss going to the beach and being around things. Like <laughs> Coronado. <Landscape>. Exactly. <laughs> and then you have this guy. And, you know, when I would, when I lived in LA and I would, my wife is very, very uh, physically attractive. We're Jew- we were born Jewish. And everyone says the same thing about Linda. They'll say, you know, you're so lucky because she doesn't look Jewish. Right. Oh, wow. And yeah, right. So it, they're, they're benign in the sense that they don't mean anything. They're not putting me a threat. But everybody puts everybody in a category in oh, order to absolutely. make sense. Right? Um, yeah. So they say, oh, you, you, oh, you're articulate. You're well-spoken. And, you know, they mean for a black person. So that's a level of benign prejudice and ignorance. Um, what, where did this stereotype stem, stem from? You know, it's, it's a train of thought that they, that they were taught over the course of years or passed down from, uh, you know, from a familial background. Um, but yeah, there's, there's those hyphenated or caveats that they place on top of compliments. And that denotes a, a real deep rooted, unchecked, unrealized prejudice. Absolutely. Microaggressions, right? My, it's a microaggression. Right. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. They call it benign hostile bias, hmm. right? And so there's a level of hostility because the best defense to protect yourself is a level of offense. Yeah. 
Mm. Right. So when you look at Al Stanger and you see her and she's this beautiful woman, but tattooed everywhere, you have this one view of her. You take that from various different points. When each one of us looks at her, what do you guys see? What do you see? Roast me. <laughs> Here we go. See another person. This another individual. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it, it takes it takes training and realizing and, you know, again, uh, assessing your viewpoint and making sure that you're uncovering any unchecked biases and things of that nature. But, you know, when you live in a society that points you in a direction subconsciously, you have to constantly be aware of um, your viewpoint and how it's affected. So I think just a general understanding of yourself from you know, introspectively can help you analyze some of these prejudices, whether malicious or benign. Right. Absolutely. What do you see when you look at L. Jen? Uh, I see a, a tough woman. I see um, mm. like, you know, that she's got to be tough. Look at her. She looks tough. Um, yeah, I, and this is so funny. Funny enough, working in the strip club or doing any kind of webcam or porn, I, porn, I have intentionally softened myself to appeal to a more mainstream audience. So I wear less makeup at work. I wear like cutesy girl next door stuff. I don't wear spikes or whatever because I already meet a lot of men that, no offense, Phil, look like you who are like, right. I dated a woman that looks like you, you know? So, and that, that defensiveness or fear or curiosity can come with microaggressions like, oh, I didn't expect you to be smart or articulate or whatever. Right, right. Well, I think that's the whole point, right? Is, is that who you are and who you choose to look like um, has zero to do with what I should see. But why do I see it? And I'm, I'm, picking, I'm picking you out because if we go and say, now let's look at Jen, Right. Jen could be my next door neighbor. And actually, my next door neighbor looks more like Al and the other person looks more like Rocky. But that's not what people would think when they look at me. Right. And this is that visual bias that has to start with. We're raising children to believe that they should put people in categories because they have to put themselves in a category. Mm -hmm. Right. So. Checking yourself is one thing, knowing how to understand the preference of who you are. We were at dinner last night talking about getting tattoos, mm-hmm. right? And it's a big discussion around the table and our, all of our young adult children who are probably all of your ages, where they all have tattoos and they were talking about, and Linda and I were talking about getting tattoos, where we would get it, which part of your body hurts, all of that. And the reality is is that what makes us decide to be who we are represents us, but what we don't control is what people see. Mm -hmm. And we can't control that. And that's a really interesting thing for me. Mm -hmm. Right? What do you see when you see Rocky Tirade? Rocky, you look like my first ex-husband. You look like a... I know, bearded. Uh, He looks looks like my first ex-husband, too. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, I hope it. I hope you guys amicably amicably parted at least. So he still you know, hair. I don't want to. I want to trigger you or anything like that. You 
So here's my, but there's my bias. Like I looked at Rocky and I was like, oh, I feel comfortable. You look like my ex family and still my family, you know? Right. Right. Jem, what do you see? Well, I think he looks sweet. He has kind eyes. So I don't know if it's, a, it's the baseball hat, it's his demeanor, but the way he's holding himself, I feel safe with him. Yeah. I would say in terms of, um, I don't know if it's bias, but like an awareness, like I definitely identified like, oh, there's a person of color in this room. So I'm going to be extra mindful with my ignorant white language because I know that I grew up with Republican parents who were very hateful and my dad is a Trump supporter. So I'm still working out microaggressions that this culture has taught me, you know? So it's really multifaceted. I think that's a really scary thing for a lot of people to admit, but I mean, a lot of are raised this way. Rocky, what do you see when you look in the mirror? Uh, I see a human being with various experiences and ups and downs and, you know, no different than any other individual. I just happen to live in a society that prejudges me based off my outward um, appearance and my cultural background, my heritage and history. So um, I see someone... I see a compassionate human being. I see someone. Me too. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. Um, Me but too. also, of course, you know, there, there are certain flaws and, um, you know, benign microaggressions that I have myself. Um, we can sit here and discuss, <laughs> dig deep and figure out what, what they are. But, you know, from our own, for our own reasons, we our position in society comes with specific microaggressions and, and prejudices and things of that nature. Um, so, you know, like, you know, like Elliot said, it is scary to confront them because you, especially if you try to hold yourself to a specific standard, it, you feel like you're condemning yourself in the ways that you view hateful people or ignorant or myopic people. But, you know, human beings are inherently flawed. And as long as you keep um, a microscope scope under those flaws and or above those flaws and analyze them and attempt to correct those anomalies. You're on the right path, but it's, it's we have to look at society as a whole um, about look at it from a systemic standpoint and figure out why are they there to begin with. And if you remove that source, then we can start to talk about how we can completely purge these outlooks that we all have individually. Mm-hmm. Amen. Yeah, that's great. Amen. I'll tell you what, let's let's stop on that note. When we come back, we're going to try to build a standard for our audience. We'll be right back, everybody. In a world that's ever-changing and a future ever-uncertain, more than ever, we're looking for ways to better our life, better our day, and redefine what it means to feel well. We at Kavana Health, an Oklahoma-based, GMP and kosher-certified manufacturer of hemp-derived ingredients and finished products, have had a core mission. All of us and each of us must redefine what it means to live well. Whether it's our tinctures, topical, or pet products, Kavana Health remains committed to the highest standards of production and packaging with the highest quality industrial hemp and a state-of-the-art extraction lab. Come shop with us at www.kavanahealth.com or say hello on Facebook and Instagram at kavana.health. 
We are Kavana Health, redefining wellness. Welcome back to OK America, everybody. We are talking about benign bias. This is a special presentation. I'm Dr. Phil Dembo. I'm here with El Stanger. I'm here with Jennifer Myers, and I'm here with Rocky Tyrade. And we've been talking about how do we break down the constructs of what protects us and gives us order that turns into prejudice, the benign biases that we all live with that we have to own in order to connect to some feelings that we have about the experience that we're in, right? And so coming back, what what I wanted to do is I, I want to be able to, with this group of, of guests, develop a model that we're going to take forward in future episodes and come back to, because it is time for us to heed the call that Rocky Tyride said about breaking down those systemic changes. But my challenge is that we have to up the standard, that we have let the standard go way too low, that it is, it is really sort of a race to the bottom in our world that we then justify. And so, Jim, when I sent all of you guys a theory that I created a long time ago, it's in my book, it's, it, it's about feelings create thoughts. Thoughts then create decisions to take an action. This is the moment that we are in as an experience. And it's my contention that we detour between feeling and thought, and we don't understand the intention. So when you look at what I'm saying, which sounds, I'm sure, on a podcast, just all over the place, what makes sense to you, Jen, in terms of your intention and how you keep it pure so that what you feel creates the thoughts to take, to make the decision to take the action. So, so when I look at that, I mean, I was thinking about this a little bit and, and, and for me, I mean, honestly, I think thoughts, thoughts that, 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 that were, that were taught that we continue are really, really hard to break. And so, um, and, and feelings are, there's something in between feelings and thoughts. And, and that to me is coming back, and this may sound really floaty, but to the heart and to compassion. And, and there's something in the strength of bringing it down to compassion and to our heart that something begins to grow and it sort of snaps the thought um, and, and creates space for something to happen out of that, needless of a judgment or a bias that's still lingering. I mean, to me, that is the key. So, so compassion, by the way, is an intention. It is not a feeling, right? So there are three basic feelings. We either feel joy, fear, or pain, right? Now we can call it all kinds of other things, but when you strip it down, there are three universal feelings. And then it is at the intersection of that feeling, fear, let's say, and our thoughts that bring in History brings in language, it brings in my parents' rhetoric, it brings in um, the community language, it brings in the media, brings everything in, rushing in to give us that intention, right? And what you just said, which I think is interesting, is that if you hold on to something like compassion, right, if you hold on to something like passion, if you hold on to something that actually feels like it has purpose, you will cleanse 
the obstruction of those other thoughts that come rushing in. Right. Right. Is that what you're trying to say? Definitely. hundred percent. Okay. So how do you do that? What is it that you do? Oh, me personally? How do I? Yes, ma'am. Wow. Yeah. That, that is, it, it's so interesting. I, I think, uh, so first of all, how I learned to do it was by something that snapped inside of me at one point through an experience. So, so some type of experience that I had, and, and no matter what we have, an adverse experience, a hard, challenging experience, if we really take that experience and feel into that, it will break a paradigm inside of us. That creates a space inside of us, creates a space inside of me now that no matter what it is, the feeling or the fear between the thought, I can move into more of a compassionate place, which gives me pause. It creates a pause. And it's because I allow a paradigm to break inside of me. I think we have to go deep in our lives to feel that some, does that make sense what I'm saying? It makes sense. And what do you guys think? I can give an example that it, this just came up for me, how I interact around my trauma at work as a sex worker. <laughs> um, Go for it. Okay. So I have worked 11 years, um, primarily in the same club. I've worked about seven or eight, but primarily in the same. I'm very comfortable there. And I know what to look for in terms of people that might be red flags, like people who are going to sneak a photo, um, someone who might throw like a projectile, like coins, someone who might be gropey. Um, I've just gotten really, really good at identifying predatory behavior in people of all genders. So it's helpful because I can point this out to the new girls or I can kind of stand watch if the bouncer is busy. The problem is when I focus on so many of those true negative experiences that happen, it clouds me. So I get the feeling, which is fear, you mentioned. I get the intention that I'm going to do something about this. And the thought is how. So then I start comparing their behavior. And if I find the behavior unfavorable, I make a decision to act, whether this is to confront the person or get the bouncer. Um, and I have acted aggressively in ways that were not justified before because I was clouded by my bias. I said, this person's bothering me. They remind me of someone else who has done something wrong in my head. Therefore, I'm going to address this aggressively. So I'm going to say real quick, how this has come full circle is my bosses with the head of security and the guy who's booked me for 11 years, he's like, look, we love you. You're an asset here. This is family. But you've had too many conflicts with problematic clients where instead of de-escalating like the bouncers should, you escalated it. And they, and we don't know if you know when you're doing this. And I said, oh, I know when I'm doing this <laughs> because I'm blowing off steam. Right. Um, and it's unhealthy. So I've gotten to the point where when I have the feeling of fear, I have to really separate myself and try to be objective. Am I basing this on trauma or is this person actually a threat? No. Then I put myself on timeout in the dance, in the dressing room. <laughs> you know, <laughs> bouncer. But like, this is a really good outline. I think you've given people to address feelings that come up and how to deal with them. Well, I love your use of it. Rocky, what are you doing with that? How do you go from feeling to thought to decision to action? That was great, Al. Thank you. Thank you. I'm sorry. Could you ask that one more time? Um, yeah, sure. So how do you go from a feeling to an intention to create a thought to take a, make a decision to take an action? Uh, from a feeling to a thought to, I would say, I'm sorry. Could you provide another example? Well, so just even in the moment that you're in right now, what are you feeling? Uh, <laughs> Brad's confusion and trying to select the, the best reference. 
But. Okay, so you went. For, confusion would be a form of fear, right? It, it, it's a form of like, holy shit! What you know? I gotta right, come up with right, right, here, right. And so the intention was to come up with something profound, right? Is to grab an example. Profound meaning just that it was meaningful, not profound like yeah, yeah. Form, yeah, right. And so you went to your thoughts. If you stay in your feelings, my friend. If you just stay back in the compassion of okay, you know what, Dembo, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. So I'm just going to say to you, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. I can't come up with an example. And that becomes your example. You see, one of the, one of the things that we do is we step out of the moment, right? We, we, when we step out of the moment, everything else comes in and it's too much for people right? That comparative analysis between you are one of the most young, articulate people in America doing this work on the ground with, with, um, your, with, with your new organization connecting up with, right. with, with protesting, right? And everyone's expecting you to be articulate in every moment. Yeah, because, no, I'm I'm a human being, and you're yeah. going to come up short if you have those expectations. So well, that my was a point great example. Is, I appreciate my, it. Yeah, my point is is that it's not coming up short. This is what I'm trying to break. I'm trying to break all of us. We're 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 kind of the ones who are insightful here, and yet we judge in the moment as well. <laughs> Standard is that there is no large or small. There's no good or bad. There's no pretty and ugly. There's no real black and white. The truth of the matter is your skin color is a specific color, it, it, and so is mine. People of color are color, right? I, I, I've never met somebody who's a person not of color, right? And, and so my, my whole point in all of this is, is the challenge to understand that my intention begins with what I feel. I intended to put this presentation together of minds that are willing to go and create a standard. And the standard that I'm challenging each and every one of us to do is to break the construct of fitting yourself in any box ever, right? Use language to define, but express your feelings as your moment. If you don't feel safe, you feel fear. And much of the world feels unsafe. Rocky, I like that you asked him to explain or clarify instead of trying to make up some bullshit on it. Yeah, I can't do that. Okay. No. <laughs> no right. Well, there was this one time and, you know, I was in New York. It was do that. No, 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 no. Right. Okay. It's all right. There's no shame here. Yeah, I think that's what he's trying to teach is like all of us as a society and like keyboard warriors, especially on Facebook, we could all benefit so much by saying, I actually don't know that. I, I, but let me go try to discover or look it up. You know exactly. Yeah. You know, recently on Instagram, some some one of our followers called me out on something she heard on my uh, our show with with Elle, and she 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 challenged me on it, and everybody freaked out. My whole team like freaked out. Like, what are you gonna do? Should you say something? Should you do? And I just went with my heart. I really felt grateful that she called me out on using language or misunderstanding my language or me not being clear with my intention. You see, intention is the meaning. It isn't 
that we protest. It isn't even why we protest. It's why we put our shoes on to go outside, to be there with everybody else. The meaning of the moment is in the experience that we have, right? It, it is, if the intention is to experience fully, we have to get rid of the detours, right? The beautiful thing about the GPS of life is we never worry that our GPS is going to take us to a different destination. It just may reroute us around obstacles. Right. And today, this group has begun the challenge of rerouting around the obstacles. I want to thank each of you. Go ahead. Well, I'm sorry. Can I ask who here has said problematic stuff in their life? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Exactly. I, if I wasn't holding my phone, I'd put up another hand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we all mess up. I think you dealt with it beautifully, Dr. Dembo. We all mess up. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate all of you. I appreciate everybody listening. This has been a special edition. Why don't you guys go around and just say where people could find you, what you're doing right now, how they can reach out to you. Jen Myers, you're awesome. We appreciate you. How can people find you? Um, yeah, uh, uh, jennifermyers.co um, is my website or rise2empower.org or jenmyers198 is my Instagram account. Awesome. Thank you. Elle, how about you? I am stripperwriter.com. You can find me on Instagram at stripperwriter if they haven't deactivated me for a fourth time for no reason. <laughs> I am the co-host of Strange Bedfellows podcast. You can find that on Apple and all over the place. Awesome. We appreciate you. And Rocky Tyre, tell us where we could find you. Um, you can find me on um, any social media platform, Rocky Tyre, R-O-Q-Y-T-Y-R-A-I-D. Um, of course, um, professionally, I'm a member of uh, the We Rising Project here in Phoenix, Arizona. So anything pertaining to um, political activism, um, you know, demonstrations and things of that nature, you can always go to WeRisingProject.org or just uh, search for We Rising Project on all your social media platforms. So really appreciate I, you having me here. Yeah, I appreciate it. We're going to do it again. You guys, I have a deep, deep respect. I've been looking for you for 40 years. We're going to do more of this. We have to teach the world to up the standard. The standard was never lowered. We just justify our way out of holding ourselves accountable. My name is Dr. Phil Dembo. This is OK America. OK America, you have to rethink and reimagine, and you start by feeling first. Have a great day. Take care, everybody.